Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are starting the Barbenheimer duology. Yes. We're Actually, we're going to start with the Heimer part yep. anyway. So, <laughs> so it's Heimerbar? Heimerbar, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Uh, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we, we, everybody in the last few weeks have been going to both Barbie and Oppenheimer because those are the two... Oh, what do you call that? The, the the flavor of the month, anyway, for, for film. And actually something that's kind of revitalized cinema experiences. I so. think this is really a testament to maybe people are getting a little tired of seeing the same stories. You mean like superhero movies and Disney movies? Not just that, but you've got Mission Impossible, you've got Indiana Jones, you've got all of these sequels that have not done as well as what mm-hmm. these two originals did. Yeah, I would say that's um, probably a good point. You know, I, I know that some of these movies are still making a lot of money, but they're not blockbuster movies like they used to be. They're not as well received. People are still going to them, but But they're not making as much money, so I don't think as many people are going to them either. I mean, some of them are still making big bank. I take your point. Yeah, I think that I think that they're not making as much as they were. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the numbers that say like Avengers Endgame did, right? But nowhere near that anymore. And I think that part of that is COVID, and part of that is, I think people just get a lot of stuff on streaming now because of the way things were released during COVID. Yeah. I think well, more people are willing to wait for things. And I do hear a lot from people, too, that they're a little more picky about what they go see at the theater because it's expensive. It is it's expensive, expensive to yeah. go to a movie. You know, you got a family of four, you know, you're dropping 50, 60 bucks just to get into the movie and then another 50 bucks or so for snacks. You know, you've got a over $100 outing easy for a family of four that is a very fair point a very fair point and especially in these days when you know it's not quite as money's not quite as free-flowing as it once was Mm -hmm. yeah i'd i'd say that those are all contributing factors i think you're i think you're spot on with those absolutely so but yes so oppenheimer and barbie have kind of given us a spike in theater going Mm -hmm. And, it's been uh, kind of cool to see, like on social yeah. medias and stuff. It's it's kind of exciting and like just people excited about these movies that got me excited to see these <laughs> movies too. So I I think it's cool. You know, it's been a while since we've had that. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. You're the one that pushed for Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Yep, it so, is my doing. So this is all you. Next week, if you don't like Barbie, that's on me. <laughs> I don't know what to expect from Barbie. I'm not to really be sure either, other than there's a lot of hype behind it, and I'm I'm really excited to check it out. Okay, but no toy movie has really ever been. I know a that's why I'm not really sure what flick. to think about it, but yeah. I guess we'll see. Like, I mean, you look at like Transformers, and Transformers came out in, like at the height of like the big blockbuster thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it it was still so like lackluster you know with all that money infused into that and all those special effects you would think they would be able to come up with something that would keep people engaged but Mm -hmm. i have uh, look and i have nothing against barbies i have nothing against going to see movies that would be quote-unquote traditionally female movies to go and see i'm not i'm not that kind of person so i'll go and see this but i'm not expecting much because of the fact it's that a, it is a toy movie. It's based on a toy, yeah. yeah. yeah I get you. I get you. It's the same reason I didn't see the Battleship movie. It's because, <laughs> it's based on a board guys, game. it's a board game. What do you do? <laughs> like, and they made they made it into like Monster Kaiju thing or something? I don't know. I saw the trailer and I was like, all right, I'm out. Done. Just done. Anyway, so this is Oppenheimer though. Now this is a, a biopic. We do, we do, we've done a lot of biopics lately. Haven't we done a lot of biopics? I don't know if lately, course? but I would say over the course of yeah. our whole run, we've yeah. probably done we've probably done a fair share. Are you a fan of biopics in general? Must be, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Or maybe they're just the popular ones that are out and we tend to try and choose things that people are gonna watch. So Yeah, I suppose. But I man, I just I gotta be honest with you, most of the time, not interested in biopics. If I want to watch something, I want to watch, like, a documentary about it. 
You know, mm-hmm. if I'm going to watch something historical. You're going to get you're going to get a more accurate telling if you watch a documentary versus a movie because well, a movie <laughs> is going to have embellishments in there to make it more enjoyable for the moviegoers. Oh yeah, definitely. So they always have extra stuff that didn't actually happen. So yeah, if you're looking for a real account, you're better off probably either reading a book or watching an actual documentary. Yeah. Now I did watch a documentary about Robert Oppenheimer. Um, you watched a an hour and a half long advertisement for this movie, is what you did. Yeah, but it was interesting. It did have. Um, information about him you know i i remember reading about him or learning about him in school at one point i don't remember a lot other than what was stuck in my head that he was a former nazi and that he helped make this for some reason that's what was stuck in my head wow and so kind of watching that documentary before i went into this i thought was kind of interesting because that's not exactly Mm. who he was and okay it, it just rem- kind of helped me kind of get into a mindset of what i'm watching here. sure did you did you remember about the manhattan project and the development of the age the, the a-bomb and all that kind stuff or, of, or all, i okay. mean I, I remember that was the manhattan project but i don't remember anything about mm. it you okay. know I, I don't i don't claim to have an abundance of knowledge about this era but i do remember learning that he was the head of the Manhattan Project, and the Manhattan Project is where they developed the atomic bomb, and that he had a line, that he had a, he had a saying, now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. That was what he said when, or at least that's what we were told he, sa- he said when he saw the explosion of the Trinity test. I don't know if, if that's accurate. It feels like an embellishment, but then again, I suppose he could have said that at that time. I think he probably did say it, but when he said it, I don't know. Right? No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing that he said it. I'm saying I don't think he said it right as he was seeing right the Trinity test. I think that that is yeah. an embellishment that is that that very something well made be. for Hollywood. You know, mm-hmm. but and, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Like I said, mm-hmm. I'm not a I'm not a you know historian when it comes to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Comic books, let's talk. But this <laughs> kind of stuff, not really, generally speaking. So. This one thing to be said about this movie is it kind of flips back and forth between three different p- time periods. So my summary when we get to that is actually going to be like we used to do it, where I would read the whole summary and then we'd talk about the movie. Mm-hmm. Rather than us trying to flip back and forth between like it's Pulp Fiction or something, mm-hmm. flip back and forth between time frames, we're just I just did it all chronologically, tell the whole story, and then let's go back and let's talk about like the specific Bits That's that probably a good idea. About. I was kind of wondering how you were going to do that because yeah. I was like, man, this is jumping all over the place. It was like, a tough one, and I, yeah. I wrestled with it for a while, yeah. but eventually I just ended up working off of the Wikipedia page and creating the outline of it and yeah. writing it up. So Sure, sure. I, I cribbed a bunch of stuff from Wikipedia, but then again, everybody does, so <laughs> whatever. So why don't you tell us cast and crew, and then we can... Then we can jump into this. All right. So this was written and directed by Christopher Nolan. It is actually based off of a book called American Prometheus Mm. that was written by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. I believe it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book, too, if I remember right. Sounds like the kind of book that would win the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. This stars Killian Murphy as Robert Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt. Also, real quick, no dong. We Like, just before we get into everything. I was. Th- I thought we were going to see Dong. They were talking you, about you full frontal. You promised me penis, but there was no penis. <laughs> okay, that sounds bad. <laughs> that does sound terrible. You but, told me that there was going to be this long scene of him naked, and I'm that's like, "That's what I had heard." Okay, do we need to see that? But whatever. You're like, you know. "Oh yeah." Gonna... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, Emily Blunt is Kitty Oppenheimer. Matt Damon plays Leslie Groves. Robert... General Leslie Groves, just so we know who that is. Robert Downey Jr. is Louis Strauss. Yeah. Florence Pugh plays Jean Tatlock. And we have a whole bunch of other people here. So people like Josh Hartnett, Jack Quaid, Rami Malek, Casey Affleck, Gary Oldman, 
Matthew Modine, lots of people Mm -hmm. have a lot of smaller roles. And I guess I've watched a few interviews with the cast with Christopher Nolan and he would some of these like especially with Florence Pugh, he like met with her and had dinner with her Mm -hmm. to talk to her about taking this role. And he kept like, I'm really sorry, it's a small role, but I would really like you to take it. Mm -hmm. So he he even even though there were small roles, he was kind of. I know it's small, but you know, <laughs> will you take it? And she's yeah. like, "It's Christopher Nolan, of course, I'm going to take See, it." See, and that's that's the benefit that he has. Mm-hmm. That's his. That's the thing that that's that's his privilege. Yeah, you and know? actually, that's how they got he got Matt Damon too, because Matt Damon apparently is on a break. Uh, he was like he he was taking a break for family, huh? and but he told his wife, "Unless Christopher Nolan asks me to do a movie." Really? Yeah. And then Christopher Nolan shows up on the door like, yeah. knock, knock. Hey, yeah. would you... Would you do this movie? <laughs> would you check yes, check here for yes, check here for no, and then yep. pass the note back to me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now, I know I know Christopher Nolan's name. Of course you do. And do I know you... he did Batman. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to know how What are some of the other ones scars? he's done? Because I, I don't know. Interstellar. I've never seen that one. Um, The Prestige. Never saw that one. You've never seen The Prestige. Uh-huh. You've seen The Illusionist, but you haven't seen The Prestige. I believe so. I think you, I've okay, seen The Illusionist. Okay, so... Is The Illusionist one with Edward Norton? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, I've seen that so one. So let me, let me, let me... Okay, so basically, you have had Boston Lobster Market, but you've never had <laughs> filet mignon, is okay. what I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. So, yeah, okay. Wow, I can't believe you never saw that. I thought you had. No, I I have not seen The Prestige. Huh. Unbelievable. Can't trust you to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me think. What else did he do? Tenet, which I haven't seen yet. I have not seen that. Yeah. And then um, there's a couple other ones. Oh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. We saw Dunkirk. Did we? Yeah. Oh, wait. No, I saw Dunkirk. You didn't see Dunkirk. Mm -mm. We saw 1917, the Sam Mendes one. There were two World War One movies that came out around the same time, and one of them was 1917, which you and I both went to, and one of them was Dunkirk, which I saw on the oh, small screen, and okay. I thought, my God, why didn't I go to the theaters to see this? Okay. I loved 1917. That was that was a great movie. Boston Lobster Market? <laughs> Filet Mignon. Really? Yeah. Really, 1917 was really good. Right, but it's the Boston Mar- it's the oh, Boston Lobster Market compared to Okay, I got to yeah. add a couple of these movies to my what must watch. Yeah. List Interstellar, okay. meh, it's okay. Okay. But The Prestige is, is it in definitely space? parts of it, okay. but parts of it are also in <laughs> another dimension. Anyway, okay. Oh, wait. Just you probably oh. won't like okay. it. Don't even bother. But The Prestige <laughs> you should see because you saw okay. The Illusionist and if you want to see the amateurs and not the professionals, go for it. But if you want to see the professionals do it. Okay. Watch All that. Right. I'm just saying. I'm the, I'm I'm exaggerating for effect. Edward Norton is not a, an amateur at all, and the people that made that movie are not amateurs at all. But there is one of one of those two movies is better than the other, and it's The Prestige. Okay. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, he's done a lot, and of course he did the Batman movies. Um, he produced the Man of Steel movie from Zack Snyder, which is probably why the Man of Steel is actually a better movie than it deserved to be. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, so, are you a Christopher Nolan fan then? <sighs> I don't know if I'd call myself a fan. I appreciate what he does. Okay. I think he can be long-winded at times, and I think that he can be a little a little full of himself at times. Of course, any director can. Spielberg can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, Spike Lee can be full of himself. But I think that it rubs me the wrong way when Christopher Nolan is full of himself because I think that there are times where his films maybe have, like, some logical fallacies associated with them, and we're supposed to just gloss over it and be like, well, it looks great, and it's it's this epic thing, so mm. we should just let it go. Okay, you know, and I think that there's okay. So there's another another director that 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 I don't like that did or actually that I've come to not like that does very similar things, and that's Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Uh, it's it's the idea of like numbering your movies, you know, like Quentin Tarantino, like his next movie is going to be the tenth film from Quentin Tarantino. And that's it's like, what it's called? No, no, it's gonna. It's that's like it's that's it's like, like the catch, advertising the bit for. Phrase. Yeah, it's not the okay. catchphrase. It's just the advertising okay. angle, the hook for it, okay. right? But how how pretentious do you have to be? You know, yeah. and I think that Christopher Nolan sometimes goes down that road, not yeah. for the whole movie, but sometimes he heads mm. down that road. The other one that he did was Inception. 
Did you see Inception? Maybe. Is that is that the weird one where like walls and yes. stuff are moving around? Yeah, and it's the one that when if you watched uh, Doctor Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness or oh, the new okay, the newer yeah. Spider Man one, that's the one where they get like that folding in thing going on. Yeah, of the of the buildings and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So, given that, would you consider yourself a Christopher Nolan fan, or are you just a fan of the Batman movies? I think the only ones I've really seen are the Batman movies. I like those. So, you know, maybe. Even The Dark Knight Rises? Which one was that one? That's the one with Bane. It's the last one. The one that wraps it all up. That one, I think it was okay. It's definitely not my favorite of the three. Right. But it was still okay. Like it I, it ha- was still yeah. watchable, and, and I've seen it a few times. Yeah, it was fine, mm-hmm. but it had some real, like, problems. Like, Batman didn't defeat Bane. The only thing that stopped Bane was Catwoman. You know what I mean? Like, he would have died there had it not been for Catwoman. You know, like, at the end of the movie when Talia al Ghul stabs him. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like, character beats that make no sense. You know yeah. what I mean? Just for epic, like, yeah. special effects-looking things or whatever. But the other two Batman movies... Yes. ...are some of my favorite... Absolutely. ...superhero movies. Yeah, I they're love very, very two. good. Yeah, they're, they're very, very good. I just wish... Good. I think I think that Dark Knight Rises suffered from the fact that Heath Ledger had died. Because this was supposed to be, like, the end of his story. The end of mm-hmm. Batman's story and the Joker's story. It was supposed mm-hmm. to, like, tie together okay. really well, along with the League of Shadows stuff. And we just didn't get that. We were, okay. you know, we were kind of robbed of that mm-hmm. because of, you know, Heath Ledger's death, which, yeah. you know, more more horrible for his family. But, right, you know, right, right. For, for the rest of us, you know, as, as consumers of, of media and pop culture, I really wish we could have seen that. Yeah, he was he was a good actor. Yeah, and the the arc that they had created with Batman and the Joker in The Dark Knight was fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was great. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen that come to a culmination, but it it just didn't. It yeah. didn't. Yeah, and so. I I'm sure at some point, you know, of course we're going to keep getting Batman movies and we'll <laughs> keep getting on the way. we'll keep getting Jokers. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe at some point there'll be someone that I feel personally compares to Heath Ledger's performances, but I, I haven't, I haven't seen one yet. Like not even close, yeah. except for Joaquin Phoenix. He was very good, yes. and I really liked that. But I almost feel like that's not really a Batman movie. It was more like a, a story about the Joker himself, and so I, I almost yeah. don't even put it in the same category because it doesn't quite feel that way for me and i know it really is there but it it just felt different so yeah it definitely feels different it feels like what i like what i really like about that joker movie is it feels like an elseworlds story which is a comic line from dc that was basically like oh we're gonna put batman in victorian england and we're gonna you know like Mm. but change things up a little bit that's what i really liked about that and that's what i was kind of hoping they were going to do when they got this new dc uh, multiverse or DC MC or DC universe or whatever t- film universe that they are creating. I was hoping that we were going to get more Elseworlds type stuff, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. Okay. Anyway, so oh man, we were talking about Batman on yeah. the Oppenheimer. Yeah, we're thing. getting okay, way off so. track here. Let's get into Oppenheimer. Why don't okay. you go ahead and tell us this plot that you've put together for us? Okay. Now again, a lot of this is cribbed from Wikipedia. I changed it up a little bit, and I I, ma- I changed a few things and eliminated a few. This things. was a very long movie. I, it was. I, I will give that to you because I think I would have needed a reference to go back and try and it, put it all together. Yeah. too. <laughs> I needed to because and because it was pieced apart so much in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the way that they kind of flip flop, flip flop back and forth, I couldn't keep up with my notes to create a a, a, a good summary. Plus, we don't have it on at home yet, so right. it's not like we could watch it again. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we could, but it's three hours in the theater, guys. Yeah. So, all right. So, twenty-two-year-old J. Robert Oppenheimer studies under Patrick Blackett at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge. Oppenheimer then completes his PhD in physics at the University of, I think this is Gottingen, in Germany, where he meets Werner Heisenberg, not Walter White. This is the theoretical physicist (laughs) from Nazi Germany. Anyway, Oppenheimer returns to the United States because he he wants to bring quantum physics to the U.S. He wants to expand physics research 
here in the U.S. So he comes back there. He starts teaching at the University of California, Berkeley, and California Institute of Technology, or Caltech. And he meets his future wife, Catherine, a biologist and an ex-communist during this period. He also meets and begins a romantic relationship with Gene Tatlock, a member of the Communist Party USA. Now you can see where this is going. Gene and Oppenheimer continue to see each other intermittently throughout the years, but he ends up ending the relationship, causing the emotionally unstable Gene to commit suicide, or so we were meant to believe. But we'll get more into this. There's actually like at least a split second shot of what looks like a hand forcing her head into the water because she basically drowns herself. Um, yeah, well, let, let's talk about that once you get through that. We will, we will, yeah. yeah. So, U.S. Army General Leslie Groves chooses Oppenheimer to lead the Manhattan Project to develop the, an atomic bomb. They are driven by the possibility of the Nazis having a nuclear weapons program underway, headed by Heisenberg, which is Oppenheimer's old buddy. Oppenheimer leads a scientific team to Los Alamos, New Mexico, to secretly create the bomb. Now, Los Alamos is significant because Oppenheimer and his brother own a ranch out there, and he figures this there's just this barren open space, and we can create everything that we need. So they create a whole city, including like a commissary and, and, and everything that a city would need to house the scientists and their families so that the scientists will actually come and work for them. Mm -hmm. So, Oppenheimer has a conversation with Albert Einstein where they discuss how an atomic bomb could trigger a chain reaction that could destroy the entire world. And we also... I just want to mention real quick here. When I think of Albert Einstein, I think of somebody who lived way, 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 way before my lifetime. No. Which he kind of was, but we are... Like, if you look at my year of birth, I am further past that than bef- this was before my... I mean, it, 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 it he wasn't that much further before I was born. No. And so it's still... Even though sometimes I, I know this in my brain, that he... When did he die? Uh, I was just going to look that up, actually. Albert Einstein died in 1955, so 20 years before you were born. Yeah, so 20 years before I was Think born. Think about this. It would have been 2000 right now, for reference. 2003. Yeah. So... Anyways, when I see him in stuff and I'm like, wait, why is he here? Isn't he like a lot like before that? No, he's not. It just throws me every time because I feel like when when you learn about him in the history books and stuff, it felt like it was like a different time. And it kind of was. But I don't know. It's it's just me, like my brain not comprehending time. No, 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 I don't think it's you. I think it's our education system, to be honest with you, because I have the same thing going on where I feel like Einstein is separate from the things that were going on in the 1930s and 1940s. But when you look at it, timeline wise, he was here. Of course, he was involved. He's yeah. a quantum physics yeah. genius or a, yeah. uh, excuse me, a theoretical physics genius. <laughs> Yeah, of course he was involved. Right. But I don't remember any teacher telling me that Albert Einstein and J. Robert Oppenheimer interacted. Like they were friends. Yeah. It seems important, but what do I know? Anyway, Oppenheimer also learns that there might have been a Soviet spy leaking Manhattan Project intel to Russia. Meanwhile, Germany surrenders in World War II just as the bomb is being completed and the Trinity test is successfully conducted before the Potsdam Conference. President Harry S. Truman orders the atomic bombs to be dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The end goal is to force Japan to bend the knee, basically. The... Well, this is... What's interesting is that we find out they were going to surrender anyway. Mm-hmm. So what was the point? To show power. That's right. To show we power. We have more power than you have. Right. I mean... So we're going to kill thousands of people <laughs> for no fucking reason. I mean, imperialists are going to imperial? What are you going to do, right? Again, this is not what I learned in history no. class. No, no. So, no, and in fact, in fact, it could be argued that we started the Cold War. That we started the Cold War well, 
by yeah. by letting those by starting those bombs well, or, or setting those if, bombs off. Even if some of this is true of what Oppenheimer was doing after the fact, he was trying to urge people not yep. to build these bombs, right. but to put your effort into more like a world peace, like trying to to have an effort of everybody agreeing not to do mm-hmm. this. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I. But you've got the higher ups going. No, no, no. We got to have these. Got to yeah. have these. Got to have these. We got to make sure that nobody is going to question the size of our dick. Yeah. So we're going to blow up two cities. And I don't know if I don't know what the right thing there is. If you should have bombs, don't don't have bombs. But I definitely feel like it was not the right call <laughs> to kill all these people. <clears throat> most of them. Yeah. Most of them being family, women and yeah. children. There's, and there are, yeah. There's, there's. They discuss this in the movie. Can we, can we hit a military target? Nope. They're, they're just too, they're too small. We need something big. We need a city, a big city. And they, they chose Hiroshima because it was flat mm-hmm. and it would have more damage yep. and more death. Mm-hmm. I watched an interview by a woman who survived yeah. the. Hiroshima attack. She lived in Hiroshima. Yeah. And she was a child and she was talking about this whole thing. And oh my gosh, it was like absolutely heartbreaking. Which honestly, people that have survived natural disasters and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it's hard to hear these stories. But just kind of learning now stuff that I thought I knew from school and it's not exactly true. It's it's just it's kind of eye opening and it kind of makes mm-hmm. you really feel differently about things and Man, our education system just really needs to get their fucking act together and stop picking and choosing and changing what actually happened in history. You know, it, it's just really sad that this is this is what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with you on this. I I think that the problem is and the tendency is to shrug away atrocities that your country had created or had, yeah. had committed. I think that's how we end up here. We can't like. Well, the, you're not going to, you don't want to teach that maybe you shouldn't have done that. Right. Make but us that's look the, bad. But the problem, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's all about how we look. Are we right? the bad guys? <laughs> oh, we are. I mean, in, in some cases, yes, absolutely we are. Yeah. There's a lot of times where, Amer- where America yeah. is the bad guys. There's a lot of times where other people are the bad guys, yeah. too. They're not forgiving their stuff happening. Their stuff. But, yeah. like, we can't expect that we are infallible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, and obviously we did something wrong. It's the thing is that really kills me is that what... What do we teach our kids? We say, hey, don't be afraid to try. Even if you fail, you gain something, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you screw up, you did something and you now you know to do better next time, right? Mm-hmm. But we forgot that for ourselves. They've turned it into a child's fairy tale, that concept. Well, and I just think it's important to, especially stuff like this where I think a lot of people now agree that mm-hmm. this was probably not the thing that should have happened. Yeah. This would be important to teach kids because yes. learning from history is going to be what helps us not do that again in the future. Yeah. But pretending like it didn't happen or lying about it doesn't really teach them what the consequences were to those actions. Right. You know, it oh, just absolutely. sugarcoats it. So absolutely. I'm getting into a whole different discussion here, but I feel like this is this is a movie that there's there's more to it than than just this guy who built this bomb. I mean there's a there's yeah. a lot of ethical stuff happening here yes. too. Um but I just wanted to bring that up just because I we didn't learn this in school. Right. And so watching this this movie and watching that documentary, I actually want to read this book. Yeah. I would like to read this book too. Sure. Because I think this Oppenheimer's fascinating. I think he's a fascinating character Mm -hmm. and I'd kind of like to know more about what actually happened there. Sure. Yeah. No. You know what I love about this movie is that, you know, when I talk about movies that make you think, Mm -hmm. This is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. This has spurred conversation outside of, hey, what happened in the actual movie, which we're getting to as well. 
but our discussion here is not now is is not about the effects of or, or the excuse me the performances or mm-hmm. how they said it we're talking about the very real threat of nuclear annihilation and what what our role as as a society was in the creation of that threat mm-hmm. you know i mean these are much more heady things this is the kind of film that i love to talk about because we don't just talk about the movie i don't care that gary oldman gave a fantastic performance and was completely unrecognizable yeah i didn't even know he was harry (laughs) truman makeup i don't care about that that's great and everything gary oldman big ups man i love you he's a great actor what's more important is to me anyway is that this is going to spawn more conversations like this Mm -hmm. where 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 other people are going to be having this discussion and saying god what Maybe even looking at each other and going, were we the bad guys at the end of that? <laughs> like, I mean, I know we were attacked, and I'm not discounting that at right, all. Right. But uh, dropping two nuclear weapons on civilians to prove a point is, I would say that that is an imbalance in the scales. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Pearl Harbor was an attack on a military installation. Mm -hmm. It was a tactical attack. I'm not saying they were right in doing it, but you can see why they did it. I can't make up in my head a good reason for dropping two thermonuclear weapons on the heads of civilians, women and children, or old men and children. Mm Mm-hmm. That's an atrocity. Mm-hmm. It's an atrocity. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, boy. I feel like we're going to lose maybe a listener or two with this. So. Uh, the, the, those listeners are probably ones that probably checked out on us a while ago, honestly. I suppose. You're we probably do, right. We yeah. do talk about how we feel about things. Not always, but every once in a while. So I don't think how we feel about this is a, would be a secret. It's not a hard It's not a hard thing to decipher if you listen to the like the great bag catalog of our store of our of our show so you know okay so after the bombs are dropped on hiroshima and nagasaki they force japan to surrender and oppenheimer is thrust into the public eye and labeled as the father of the atomic bomb which i mean he kind of is and i kind of feel bad for him but I also don't feel feel that bad for him. He agreed to do this. Mm-hmm. Was it hubris, do you think? Just the idea that we can do this. We should do this. Like, I, I, think, about, I think about the Jurassic Park line. You know, mm-hmm. your scientists were thinking about whether or not they could. They didn't focus on whether they should. And that's right. the truth, I and, think. And I think that, I mean, I think you're going to get that a lot when you're talking about science and discovering new things. Yeah. Because there's a lot of excitement in the knowledge and the creation and just learning how to do this. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I wonder if if at the... You could tell he was starting to have some hesitation. Now, I don't know in real life if that was true. According to that documentary I watched, it... It is. He started having a little bit of hesitation as it was going. Yeah. But I think at that point he was too far in and just was continuing to do the thing, you know? I mean, because he was going to bring up in that one meeting that maybe they shouldn't drop this bomb. Yeah. But he was completely shushed and, like, talked over by the Leslie Groves. Yeah. You know? Yep. So he didn't get to say his piece. Right. Yeah. Right. So he meets with President Truman as like a con- for a congratulation or whatever. And Truman, he, he, he basically urges him, look, we, we, we can't make more powerful weapons than this. We can't. We're, we're inching ourselves towards destruction. And Truman takes that as like takes it as a weakness and he tells Oppenheimer he says don't worry I'm the president I'm the one that ordered the bombs to be dropped the the responsibility is mine 
I guess that was an actual conversation where Oppenheimer did tell Truman, I have blood on my hands. Mm -hmm. And Truman got pissed because he was the one that okayed it. And he, I guess he did kick him out of his office. He's like, I am not dealing with this guy anymore. It's like, do you have some guilt on this? Egotist, maybe? Yeah, I mean, somebody's pointing out that, hey, we've got blood on our hands because of this. And he just doesn't want to hear it. Go away. Yeah. He Don't can't, have time for this guy. He can't, like, I think he, I think, I don't pretend to know the mind of Harry Truman, but I feel like, at least in the movie, he didn't want to own up to what he had done. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to own up to the fact that this was a, a disproportionate response. I don't know if he... I mean, I don't either know anything about this, but it seems to me like if he did want to own up to it, he wouldn't have urged on with the hydrogen bomb. Well, he's covering, he's compensating for the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't want to, or he doesn't want to own up to it by moving forward. Yeah, we're just going to keep going with Mm -hmm. bigger, bigger and more explosive and more deadly and... Yeah. So... Oppenheimer eventually starts advocating against further nuclear development and especially against the hydrogen bomb. His stance on this becomes kind of a point of contention. Now, at this point, the movie is transitioning into Cold War era and McCarthyism. So we get to a point where Oppenheimer is they wanted to put him on trial from what I understand they wanted to put him on trial in the McCarthy hearings but because of his relationship to the bomb and American success at a military level they didn't want anybody associating that with communism Mm -hmm. so what they did instead was they did they had a private closed-door hearing And this was all organized and kind of orchestrated by Louis Strauss, Admiral Louis Strauss, who is the chairman of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission. This is a guy who resents Oppenheimer because at one hearing, this was again where they're flipping back and forth, there was a hearing where Louis Strauss was, had concerns regarding the export of radioisotopes. And Oppenheimer was kind of glib in dismissing these concerns. Mm -hmm. And so... Strauss felt jilted because they were friends at one point. He introduced him to Albert Einstein, or at least he, he, he like orchestrated a meeting with him and Albert Einstein. Even though they already knew they each already other. knew each other, and he didn't even <laughs> think about it. But like, he witnessed Oppenheimer speaking to uh, to Einstein far enough away that he couldn't hear what was being said, but he was speaking to Einstein, and then when Einstein passed by Strauss, Einstein wouldn't make eye contact with him. So he thought that his ego thought that Oppenheimer had been bad-mouthing him to Einstein. So this is this is a guy who has he's had a fragile fucking ego, and he's going to take it out on, on Oppenheimer. So, yeah. So basically... Strauss being the driving force behind the hearing, his idea is to deny Oppenheimer his security clearance because he's up for, like, re-upping his security clearance, but they want to deny that to him so that he won't have any political influence anymore. They want him out. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the reason for this, or at least the way that they're presenting it, is because he was associating with leftist views and leftist people. Mm-hmm. So at the hearing, Oppenheimer is betrayed by one of his fellow scientists, Teller, who wanted to produce the hydrogen bomb. This is the guy that wanted to push for the hydrogen bomb. And a, a bunch of other guys kind of come forward as well. Strauss exploits Oppenheimer's associations with current and former communists like Tatlock, Gene Tatlock, and Oppenheimer's brother, Frank, who was part of the Communist Party USA. Despite there being several allies testifying in Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer's defense, Oppenheimer's security clearance is revoked, damaging his public image and neutralizing his policy influence. Strauss is having a Senate confirmation hearing because he's going to be... So this is supposed to be kind of like the quote-unquote present-day type, like what's happening in the most current 
timeline of this thing. For now, yeah. yeah. But it's also the framework. Like, when you watch this movie, you're going to notice that it starts with this and it ends with this, and mm-hmm. then the epilogue is separate. Yep. So this is the framework around which the film is, is basically told. At his Senate confirmation hearing for Secretary of Commerce, Strauss's personal motives in engineering Oppenheimer's downfall kind of become known, and Strauss's confirmation is vetoed by none other than Massachusetts Representative John F. Kennedy. Interesting. Yeah. Then we get to see later in life... uh, Oppenheimer is presented with the Enrico Fermi Award as a gesture of kind of political rehabilitation in 1963. And then we get to find out exactly what he and Einstein were saying that set this whole thing on this path. Mm -hmm. And what they were talking about was not Strauss. Because they don't give a shit about that. They don't give a shit about this guy. But they're talking about the kind of implications of nuclear weapons, that how they will affect life on Earth in general, just the existence of them. Mm-hmm. And Einstein, or Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer tells Einstein that his fear of causing that chain reaction, this conversation that they talked about earlier when they were talking about, I think this is going to set off you know, the atmosphere and destroy the whole world. Oppenheimer says that he's worried that that chain reaction that could destroy the world is coming true just by the existence of these nuclear weapons, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really poetic. I love the fact that we keyed on just this conversation. This conversation about the end of the world was enough to generate a hearing, was enough to generate, like, ire between two men or one man to another. I mean, like, it set everything off. Yeah. It's just a very interesting way to do it. Yeah. That's basically the end of the movie. And I wanted to talk a little bit real quick about our movie-going experience. There were a lot of old people in that theater. (laughs) Like, the vast majority of the people that were in that theater were old people. I would say a little over half, because once, towards the end, the ones that came in at the end, those were all younger people. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was a couple of young... And then there was a young kid and his, like, grandfather, maybe, that came Yeah, so I would say it was maybe 60-40. Okay. Well, it felt like it was a lot more than that when we first sat down. Well, that's because when we first sat down, we were the only ones that were under probably 60. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, I want to say that if someone... If you're considering watching this film, don't go see it on a podunk theater screen in the middle of nowhere go to a big city go, go see it in IMAX. 70 millimeter go and see it in IMAX this whatever is, it is this is meant to be seen in IMAX this movie you don't want tinny speakers yeah. you don't want you don't want a shitty projection you want this to look like the world changing moment that it's talking about also just real quick off of that yeah because of the black and white sections in this, um, Nolan wanted to make sure that we had good quality yet mm. in IMAX on the black and white. So yeah. Kodak developed its first ever black and white film stock for IMAX for this film. Yeah, I heard about that. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting that some directors will have that kind of pull that like a company, a corporation will be like, fuck, yeah, we'll make some special film for you, <laughs> Mr. Nolan. Sure. Money is no object. Right. Money is no object because <laughs> we're going to make plenty. Yep. Right. Well, that's what it is, right? The moment when Trinity happens, the bomb mm-hmm. explosion in the New Mexico desert, is absolutely fascinating to me. Everything else in this movie was extremely loud. This movie was really, really loud, guys. Really loud. Mm-hmm. But the bomb, the explosion, silence except for breathing of the people on the screen. Like, it was a moment in time that you could you could tell this horrible reverence i want to say that everybody had for what was going on there well and two i think it's holding your breath because there was that slight chance that they were going to set the atmosphere on fire and kill everybody right right. i really like that choice that they dropped the sound like that yes absolutely i think one of the great things about film is that sometimes the absence of something is just as effective as the inclusion of something. Think about like a horror movie Mm -hmm. when there's no sound and no music. You don't know when the jump's going to come because there's no music cue to give it to you. Right. It's just there. And then all of a sudden you're in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Dropping the sound out or dropping the, like there's a scene in Last Jedi 
where they run the uh, the, the holdo maneuver is what it's called. She she shoots the ship at light speed into the into Kylo Ren's ship, and it's completely silent when it happens. It's awe inspiring. There is something important to the lack. I, I love it because when I was when I was learning art in high school and even in college a little bit, we talk about negative spaces and the negative space also can apply to sound, I think. I love it. I mm-hmm. love that effect. It was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Also with the moving go- movie going experience. Yeah. Um, this was one of those movies that once it was over, everybody was quiet as they were leaving. There wasn't a lot of chit chat going on. Well, we're all doomed. I mean, what do you want them to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just no, I know. something not... you notice because, you know, a lot of times people are getting up, chit-chatting, mm-hmm. talking about the movie, this and that, but everybody just got up and walked out. <laughs> the, the only other time I've ever had that experience was during my first time watching Saving Private Ryan in a packed theater in Invergrove Heights. We had that one other time, you did and we? I. When did we do that? American Sniper. Did we? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't remember that one. I do remember Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. American Sniper, that's a tough one. Yeah, that was a tough one too. And I'm sure that's why the same experience, but yeah, hmm. nothing. Nobody was saying a word. I like that 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 art can sometimes have that effect on people. Mm-hmm. It'll, I mean, it's moving enough to shut people up, mm-hmm. to process, right? Well, like, yeah, you, have you just to need to like, think about mm-hmm. it. Like what, okay, wh- what happened and how do I feel about this? Right. You know? Yeah, the, just the idea that your brain doesn't engage your vocal cords because it has too much to process right now. Mm-hmm. Even for the most talkative person, me, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I didn't say much no. coming into that theater. I was busy in my head. I, I find that I find that to be an interesting component of this. You're not going to get that in an Indiana Jones movie. You're not going to get that in Barbie. I'll no. I will guarantee you, it's not going to be like that in Barbie. I would think probably not. I I mean, unless we're going to be talking about like world shifting events, I really don't know that we're going to have that moment in Barbie. I, I just, I guess we'll see next week. But for now, I'm going to assume that it like Tommy Boy isn't going to give you that moment, you know. But they're still worthwhile films, even if they don't give you that moment, you know. They're still worthwhile right. time experience. It's just a different movie experience. So. Yeah. Yep. But I haven't had this happen very often. I've happened; it's happened twice yeah. for me, right. where I've got everybody's getting up and nobody's talking. It's this one in American Sniper. Only two that I've ever been to that that's happened. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Are we done talking about the movie experience? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah. Okay, I want to go back and talk about Gene. Yeah. So, real quick. You you didn't talk about it much in the plot. I don't think it was necessary to talk about it in the plot, but they were the government had Oppenheimer under surveillance. Yes, because of his clearance and because of his ties to people that are in the Communist Party, or you know his wife prior communist. Hmm. So he. They had his lines bugged. They had people following him, everything like that. And so when he went and saw Gene that last time, it is hinted, even in the documentary, that she probably did not commit suicide. It was ruled as a suicide, but the way it happened is very unlikely that she actually committed suicide. Yes, absolutely. So the government stepped in and killed this woman uh allegedly i right allegedly so it seems we don't know that for sure but it seems that way (laughs) yeah because she had an affair with oppenheimer yeah so from the wikipedia page her father came to her apartment after the oppenheimer after oppenheimer was there the last time and there was no response to his ringing the doorbell, so he climbed into a window. He found her dead, lying on a pile of cushions in the bathroom, which is seen in the movie, and her head submerged in the partly filled bathtub. There was an unsigned suicide note, which read, 
I am disgusted with everything. To those who loved me and helped me, all love and courage. I wanted to live and give, and I got paralyzed somehow. I tried like hell to understand and couldn't. I think I would have been a liability or would have been a liability all my life. At least I could take away the burden of a paralyzed soul from a fighting world. So her dad then like went through her apartment, found a bunch of correspondence, burned a bunch of letters and photographs. And then that evening he called a funeral home. The funeral home called the police. Mm. And then they go on to talk about how they were, or she was being surveilled by the FBI. She was, her phone was tapped. Jade Hoover was involved. Yeah. And, I don't know I don't know the specifics surrounding what like her death other than what was shown in the movie and what I've read briefly mm-hmm. online right but that's all I know too but it certainly seems fishy right it, it does it does I mean the I government think... was in the was in the business of wiping out commies right that's what they were so afraid of was was the idea that workers would would kind of take over the government mm-hmm. like the idea of that of that was so terrifying to them so. i i mean i understand why she was under surveillance and yeah. why her her phone lines were tapped i get that you've got a guy who is manufacturing weapons of mass destruction right i i get why she was under surveillance but it is her whole her whole end there seems a little fishy to me Absolutely. No. Absolutely. And all because she didn't think along the lines of like a, what was an accepted norm, you know? Because, because would they have really, would they have really have suicided her if she wasn't a communist? Do you think they would have killed her? Probably not. I don't think they would have killed her. Probably not. Yeah. It's interesting the types of things that went on during that period. And I'm not saying I'm not saying it was all on one side of the pond. I'm saying it's just interesting the kind of things that were going on during oh, that yeah, period. Oh yeah, there was time. all sorts of crazy stuff happening yeah. everywhere. So, it was a scary time, I'm sure. I I I can't even imagine being <laughs> around that time frame. That would be kind of terrifying. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit more about was that closed hearing quote unquote or Mm. that meeting whatever he's not on trial right that was so one-sided that was really frustrating to watch even from somebody that's not involved in this at all how unfair that was for him i mean there was no sharing of documents no Mm -hmm. sharing of information just bombarding them with stuff that was taken out of context in Mm -hmm. so many cases and I loved Kitty's reaction to this. Like, you need to fight. Don't just sit there. You need to fight. I thought mm-hmm. I thought Kitty's handling of the situation was, you know, appropriate. Like, you know, you know, stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. What do you know about McCarthyism in that whole Not period? Not a thing. Okay, so this is very on brand for a McCarthy trial. Mm. It was a railroading to basically force fealty or loyalty to the U.S. government. So, I don't know. There were a lot of people that were hurt by that. Mm -hmm. Simply because of their political affiliations. You know what I mean? And the idea that they were trying to force a loyalty... There was a period, I think it was Harry Truman signed an executive order in the late 40s or something like that, where he basically had to make sure that every civil service employee was screened for, quote unquote, loyalty. Loyalty. That sounds awfully familiar. Sounds pretty familiar, right? (laughs) Yeah. I, I I think that if you have to force that... You, you got a problem, you know, you got a problem. Anyway, I think that's a conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily on the podcast, but do you have anything else that you wanted to add? I've got a couple little notes here to go over. Sure. 
Christopher Nolan, in one of his interviews, stated that there are no CGI shots in this film. I heard about that. That is amazing. That that bomb that went off, and yeah. that is not CGI. No, it's not. It's uh, balloons and underwater effects. I think look similar to what they used for Independence Day um, to create the idea of the the look of the ships coming through the atmosphere. That's amazing. It is. Yeah. Gosh, talented people out there. <laughs> yes, very. Also, the score mm. doesn't feature any drums. Because people associate drums with like a military style and they didn't feel like that was authentic to capture the character of Robert Oppenheimer. Oh, in fact, there's a scene where he's wearing a uniform and one of his colleagues is like, take that off. You're not in the military. And he's like, oh, they told me I had to enlist. Yeah. And he's like, that's not you. And the next scene, he's changed out of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the last thing is, in December of 2022, Hmm. Robert Oppenheimer's security clearance was posthumously reinstated by the Department of Energy. But what's that going to do for him? I think it's just... (laughs) He can't use it. He's dead. (laughs) No, but I I think it's to try and maybe write the wrong that happened with that whole meeting. I, I get it. It's a yeah. make good, but like seriously, find it another way. It doesn't do any good, but yeah. it did happen, and I just wanted to point that out, that it's, it's it did happen. It's interesting. It also it feels very, very much like something that we would do as a country. Be like, you know what we're going to do? I know he's been dead for like 40 years, or 50, wait, 70, 80, 90, 2000, 2010, He's been dead for 70 years. That can't be right. He died in 67. 77, 87, 97, 2007, 2017. Holy shit. Do you know? Wait. No, no, no. That can't be right. That can't be right because I'm going to be 50 and I was born in 73. That's only five scant years beyond his, or six six scant years. 67. Break out your machine. Hold on. She's got a, an accounting he, calculator. He died in 67? He died in 67. Oops. She's not very good at the adding machine. Apparently not. 56 years. 56 years <laughs> later. But it was... My joke is lost because I can't do math, guys. There we have it. It is 70 years after it was revoked. See, I knew that somehow, but no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fucking know that. So. Well, you could just go with it. You I know? can't, no, like, I mean. why would I lie? There's no reason to no, lie. I'm kind of a math moron. I mean, let's be honest here. My, my, look, my, my destiny lies along a different path, as they say. So, yeah. All right. So anything else? You want to add anything else? Nope. I think I've covered Okay. Anything. I've got one other quick thing that I want to talk about. Even... After World War II was over, there's a scene where Oppenheimer tells, I think it's Strauss, he tells him that he doesn't pronounce his name the way Strauss pronounced it because he's basically trying to hide that he's Jewish. Interesting. Hmm. Why? Interesting that after World War II... And everybody always associates with like, oh, we had to go and save the Jewish people, right? That's why we were in World War II. That's not why we were in World War II. That was a byproduct of it. It was a byproduct of it. There's still anti-Semitism even in this country, even after World War II. They had to change their names. They had to basically, it's almost as if fighting a war about murdering thousands or millions of people across Europe didn't change racist views. Weird. Weird. Anyway. So, yeah. So, why don't we do this? Let's do our Keep Renter a Race, and then we'll move on. I guess I don't even have to ask you what we're seeing next, because I, I know. <laughs> I really like this movie. It. I was a little nervous going into it, because it's three hours. Um, yeah, that's a long one. I am... Not a big fan of the three-hour movies, as everybody knows. Um, Except for Avengers. That's even, in the theater, that's a long movie. Just because 
I, if it's a three hour movie, I feel like you need to have some kind of intermission or something so you could get up and, you know, stretch your legs a little bit or something. That's a long time to just be sitting there. And you need a potty break, too. Right. And then you don't have to miss any movie for that. But I enjoyed it. I there I was we went. It was 645, went to almost 10. I was worried I was going to be tired and I was going to start dozing off. I was I, I was eyeballing you. I was wondering. I didn't. It yeah. was engaging. I was I was interested in what was happening on the screen, even in the talky parts. I was listening. It's to all what talky was, parts. It is, but you know, some parts get a little more like technical stuff with some of the the science talk that they're doing. Right. But I was still interested. I wanted to know what was happening. I, I thought the characters were engaging. Yeah. Killian Murphy. My God, he's a great actor. He is great. Now, Phenomenal. One thing I don't like that mm. actors have to do is they have to do this body disfiguration stuff, like this massive weight loss stuff. I, I feel like that's so unhealthy. I know why it's done. I know that it's a choice they do, but I feel bad that they're going through it. They're but getting, apparently the majority of the ones that do the, do that get paid a shit ton of money. They to do, do it, so. and it's their choice because they can yeah. always say no. But I guess he ate like one almond a day for a long time what? to get that emaciated look to him towards the end. But <laughs> but my gosh, I, he was great. But I also thought. Emily Blunt was great, and Florence Pugh, she's always great. Robert yeah. Downey Jr., I, he was amazing in this. So uh, the acting was great. Yeah. I loved the, I, I think this would have been better to see on a different screen. We yeah. did see it in our local theater, but with the timing and it being a three-hour movie, we just couldn't get out of town. But the black and white to the color and, oh, I loved it. and the the sound stuff, it, it was interesting. It, and it had me engaged it had me thinking about things. It had me thinking about what I've learned in history and, you know, what does that mean for for our country and for us as a society, mm-hmm. you know, with what they're teaching us. And that's why I was like, you know, I want to learn more about this just because I want to know <laughs> what is it that I was, that I don't know. Yeah. You know, this is going to end up being a keep. I was kind of going back and forth with the rent to keep just because... It is a heavier topic, and mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's going to be something that's in, like, a regular rotation. But this movie is better than a rent. This this was a good movie. It was a good story, good acting, visuals, sound, all around. I thought this was done very well. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm keeping this one. Okay. How about you? This is 100% a keep for me, and I don't say that lightly because there's not it's not every Christopher Nolan movie that I would say is a keep. You know, and I think what really gets me about this movie is that this movie spurns conversation. And that's what I love about film as art. This movie is, to me, this movie is kind of like the, it's like the JFK of this era. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that JFK movie from Oliver Stone back in the early Mm. 90s was that movie that everyone was talking about, that movie that made you question, well, what did I see? What am I looking at? It made people want to discuss things. It made people want to learn more about something. This movie makes me want to learn more about, like, the Communist Party USA. I want to know why were they targeted. Why were these people targeted? What want to know more about the Cold War, the origins of the Cold War. I want to know more about this first Red Scare that came about. Like, what, what exactly led to this? Because what, coming out of this movie, it feels like we started the Cold War. <laughs> you know? And I mean, I know that, like, both sides had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But it sure feels like we started it. Like, we threw the first punch. And I was always told, you don't throw the first punch, you throw the last punch, right? So what are we doing throwing first punch? I want to know. I want to read. So I read. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I will. I'll continue to read. So this is definitely a keep. I will rewatch this. I feel like if they do it right, we could get a reference quality 4K disc out of this where it would be something that the neighbors three blocks down are going to be like, what are they watching? <laughs> I think we get that a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. So, yeah, keeper for me. Now, uh, I'm going to ask anyway because that's what we do. Jennifer, what are we doing next? Is it Barbie and why? We are going to cover Barbie. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the second half. Of Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I am tentatively excited to see this because 
Hmm. I I played with Barbies when I was a kid. I had a lot sure. of Barbies when I was yeah. a kid. And I, I that, yeah. there's a lot of hype to this going on right now. And I love Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling's fun to watch too. And I I'm ex- I'm excited to see what happens here, but at the same time it is a movie about toys, so I'm a little kind of hesitant. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens, but Yeah. Look, look, not every toy deserves to be a movie. <laughs> All right. When they make connect for the movie, we know we're done. And I think Barbie is a step in that direction. I don't know because I haven't seen it yet, but maybe, hey, you know what? I've been surprised by other things. Could be good, but I doubt it. I really sincerely doubt it. I'm going into this with my arms kind of crossed and going, all right, I'm fucking toy movie. So here we go. But on the one hand, on that, on that hand, and then on the other hand, we do have an indie director in Greta Gerwig who is renowned for her ability to write, you know, social satire. So it could be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be good or she could have sold out. We're going to find out next week, I guess. So I guess that's it for this week. We'll see you next week right here on the couch with Margot Robbie and Barbie. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.